and then he and his siblings were caught under a lot of the debris of their apartment building. He was there seven days under that debris. His uncle came looking for him, and this uncle and his friends were pulling debris one story after another off, calling out to this family. Finally, he hears a voice, and it's this young boy. They just dug frantically, got him out, and the uncle said, you know, we were so thrilled to find him. He's alive. We got him in an ambulance, and we figured, well, none of the hospitals are still standing. Where are they going to take us? The side of the road? And he said, instead, they brought us to your field hospital, and we've received such excellent care expressed and God's love for us at a terrible moment in our life. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint, where we are coming to you from the 2023 PCA. That's the Presbyterian Churches of America. This is their General Assembly, and we are downtown Memphis at the Renaissance Convention Center. I'm having a great time meeting some wonderful people. And we ran into our friends at Samaritan's Purse, and we've got Lynn Reestra. Lynn, you are part of the, the team at Samaritan's Purse, have been on staff now for about 10 years, working primarily in donor relations. Is that right? That's correct, Byron. Is this your first time in Memphis? Actually, no. I get to serve Memphis as I come to visit with our church partners who are motivated by the Lord to give and pack those Operation Christmas Child shoebox gifts and serve on U.S. Disaster Relief. So I've been here many, many years for, for a lot of different reasons. Well, Bot Radio is also all about the shoebox ministry. We're going to talk about that toward the ends of our time together. Yes. But Rich Bot, who's the president of our company, we always do an annual Operation Shoebox video on our website. And Rich and his wife, Faye, do it together to get people to get those shoeboxes in. Love you know, that. So we love the partnership and also supporting Samaritan's Purse. I had the privilege of hearing your president of Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham, at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention Right. recently in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And, and let me clarify something here, because many people have assumed that Franklin Graham started this ministry. Now, he has been with the ministry for about 40 years, right? but uh, he didn't start the ministry. He did not. He actually uh, inherited it from a fellow named Bob Pierce, a man named Bob Pierce, whose prayer was, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. What a powerful prayer that this man prayed. And as a result, God began to open his eyes to tremendous needs around the globe. And he decided that Samaritan's Purse needed to exist, so he established it originally out in California. The ministry, once it was taken over by Franklin, moved to the Boone, North Carolina International Headquarters, where it now is. So Franklin was invited by Bob Pierce to begin to look at needs around the globe. And I think it was part of, of God's work in Franklin's life, you know, to say, I'm real, I'm calling you to serve the last and the least and the lost, to do it in this practical way. But maybe, uh, I'm trying to think, 1979, I believe, was the year that Franklin began as president. Well, Franklin told the story at the convention this year, and I loved as he told it. He was kind of in the crossroads in his life, and mm-hmm. in his mid, about 26, 27 right. years old. Mm-hmm. And his friend Bob said, I want you, you know, he had this cancer, right. knew he was dying, and said, I want you to take over this ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think Franklin took it as an honor and as a, as a challenge, and knowing that he was young and not knowing all the details tells us about running a ministry like this, but thought maybe this was the direction that God was leading. And then when Bob passed, Franklin, mm-hmm. I don't think Bob told the board, evidently. That's, what, <laughs> that's, that's the way right. Franklin tells the story. That's right. The yeah. board didn't know. <laughs> that, Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. I'm your new director. <laughs> and, 
And so anyway, there was a little bit of uh, working through some things. Sure. But yeah. as you mentioned, about a year later yeah. is when Franklin became the president. Right. And I love that God didn't ask Franklin to be another Dr. Billy Graham. Yes. You know, I came to Christ as a 12-year-old girl hearing the gospel preached by Dr. Graham on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of those. Anyway, Franklin, has he's a great preacher and loves to bring the gospel. Of course, every time he opens his mouth, he does that. But Franklin has these gifts of building things. And what an extraordinary thing to have watched this ministry grow over the years into what it is today. I mean, I've, I've been around for 10 years, and I would say the ministry has, all, has, has basically doubled in size uh, in 10 years. And, and I can't explain that except to say it's a God thing. I, I really believe it is a God thing. And you really meet some people in time of crises with the gospel like you, mm. like no other time. Mm-hmm. You know, an opportunity mm-hmm. exists for, for the sure. church to be there mm-hmm. and for the, the relief work and the emergency work and the trauma work that that Samaritan's Purse does. Yes. I mean, Lynn, it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Let me tell you a little bit about what that looks like locally. Right here in Tennessee, we've just been working on all kinds of things related to tornadoes hitting. We're often in Tennessee. We're in Mississippi. We just finished doing some mobile homes. Actually, that's an ongoing project of Samaritan's Purse replacing people's homes that got wiped out by tornadoes this spring in Mississippi. Really high quality work on these things. They're, they're going to withstand, I believe, up to 110 miles per hour. Arkansas, Oklahoma, we were doing flooding work in Florida. Here's what happens, though. When a disaster hits here in the U.S., it's the church, the capital C church, the people of God who stand up, motivated by Him, and they will travel on their own time, on their own dime, to these disasters, and they'll roll up their sleeves and be the, the hands and feet of Christ, serving their neighbors in Jesus' name. You know, and it's so beautiful to see that, that people are willing to step out of their comfort zones and step into environments where it's disheveled, you know? Mm. I mean, the infrastructure has been turned upside down. People have lost their homes, and sometimes they've lost loved ones. Oh, yeah. And they're coming at a real you know, pivotal point. Yes. You know? Yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking. Uh, But isn't that what we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels, right? Showing up in the brokenness that people are experiencing and bringing shalom, bringing peace Mm. with with the Father. And he does it, of course, through his his body broken on the cross, his blood shed. It's the gospel. So we get to, we have the privilege of doing that in Jesus' name, and we've done it uh, through U.S. Disaster Relief for over 30 years. We've seen many, many, many families served. Uh, I think we're over 8,000 people have come into the kingdom of God through that, just that aspect of our work. What a privilege to watch that. Oh, amen, Lynn. I love that. I love that uh, that gospel emphasis. Something else, you know, we can mention here because the uh, Samaritan's Purse worked very diligently during COVID-19 and providing these emergency hospitals in a time when the world is just, you know, asking all these questions, you know, Samaritan's Purse was right there. Yeah, good point. You know, I remember that sense of fear. I think you do too. We all do. Where were you when we heard, oh, wow, this thing is happening and it's a global pandemic. And when everybody else was heading home, Samaritan's Purse kicks into action. That's who we are, right? We're going to run to the people who are sitting in ditches of war, poverty, disaster, disease, famine, and COVID certainly fits that disease profile. Our DC-8 took off from Greensboro, North Carolina on March 17, 2020, fully loaded with a, an emergency field hospital, basic supplies, medical supplies, and 30 key staff.
staff, we call them our DART, Disaster Assistance Response Team. Highly trained, they are ready to hit the ground, they get a call and they are out the door and they are heading somewhere. So we were there in Cremona, Italy at the beginning of the pandemic, 600 bed hospital, 100 of those beds filled with their own doctors and nurses. But here's the thing, Byron, what God taught us during the Ebola viral outbreak in Liberia, West Africa, we had a field office there, had been there for years, and then Ebola drops right in front of us. And the Lord called us to stay and fight that fight. What he taught us there about infectious disease, how to keep our staff safe in the middle of that kind of high-risk situation, all of it was, was, none of it was wasted. All of it was used when COVID hit. So whether it was Cremona, Italy, which was our first deployment, or of course the field hospital right in Central Park in New York, or, you know, we were in Jackson, Mississippi. We were out in Lancaster, California. We were in Lenore, North Carolina, right here in our own country, serving in Jesus' name. And then, of course, other places around the globe. Oh, this is so wonderful. Well, as you talk about places around the world, we can list many countries. Mm. We'll kind of highlight some work because it's been on our listeners' mind, I know, Ukraine. Yes. And and you guys have mobilized your teams and have set up relief work and efforts. What's that looking like now? Right. Well, the, the war, as you know, began in February, end of February of 2022. And the next day, there it is again, our DC-8 taking off from Greensboro, filled with a a field hospital, key staff, some of the things that you're going to need when war hits. A lot of people in migration trying to get out of the country to the west through a city called Lviv. We were able to set up a field hospital there. We had mobile medical clinics at a nearby bus station, etc. This is a dangerous area. We're talking about enemy fire falling not far from one of our medical clinics, etc. So our people run to the ditches and they know that they're running toward the fire. They really believe that to live is Christ, to die is gain. It wasn't too long into our response to that we realized that food was going to be a big issue. We've got businesses shut down. The economy is shifting. How are people going to feed themselves? And so we began to say, Lord, can you show us how to access food and get it into the hands of people across that country? And here's what is so extraordinary. You know, I mentioned it before with you as disaster relief. We are about the local church. It's in our mission statement. We exist to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through his people, through the church. And through Operation Christmas Child, we have over 100,000 ministry partners into individual churches, pastors, et cetera, who distribute those boxes with the gospel to the kids in their communities. Well, about 3,200 of them are in Ukraine alone. And uh, about 2,700 of these pastors and elders, they're still on the job. They're still at their churches. They haven't been bombed out. And they are longing to share the gospel with their community. We were able to bring in lots and lots of food over the last year. In fact, the stats so far are at 173 million pounds of food. Oh, my Can Lynn. you picture how much that is? I can't is? imagine. Yeah, 173 million pounds of food. We're just trucking it in week by week, and we're giving it to these pastors. They'll drive in from all over the country, many of them coming in from the red zone to the east, getting the food, getting the mattresses, getting the things that they need to go back to their church and share physical resources, but in the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you a story in a minute about what that looks like for a local church. Okay, I want to hear that. (laughs) I want to also mention, too, when you talk about these DC-8 planes, now, Franklin mentioned at the NRB conference that, you know, these planes have had some wear on them. You know, some of these planes are older, and some of them have been difficult to get parts for, and Mm -hmm. you try to make sure you have enough parts for all of what you need in case something breaks down. Right. But, you know, 
we don't think about that. I mean, we think about a ministry like this, and we're thinking, well, we're you know, you fly on a plane. Well, it's got to be probably the best, you know, newest <laughs> plane. But no, are these these are older planes that are just being cared for mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and pampered and, and you exactly. know, checked out and make sure they're working. But these are the, the type of planes you're using to fly these goods yes. and food supplies and, and people, you know, dear to these to these yes. disaster areas. Yeah. Well, we want to be good stewards of the resources God provides. And one of the ways we can do that is to take exquisitely good care of this equipment. Yeah, the DC-8 is only one of two that's still flying. NASA flies the other one. And we've got provenance on all these parts and take really good care of it. Uh, it's recently undergone uh, an overhaul and it's in great shape and it's a workhorse for the ministry. It's really changed our footprint globally. <laughs> oh, I love that. So when you look at a situation where you've got two countries, mm-hmm. you've got Ukraine, you've got Russia. I mean, Samaritan's Purse cares just as much for the Russian people as the Ukrainian people when it comes to getting sure. the gospel to them. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, building those those bridges, but I mean, there's needs right now mm-hmm. in Ukraine, mm-hmm. you know. And they're ongoing. So we've been there ever since the war started. I think the day after we were uh, we were leaving and we're able to set up that field hospital and serve continuously. It's actually uh, the most recent of our 17 field offices globally. We will be in Ukraine as long as the Lord allows. We want we, The needs are tremendous and we want to meet them in Jesus' name. Again, much of the work happens through the church. We heard from a pastor in Ukraine who, before the war started, had about 300 people in his church, which is a pretty good-sized evangelical church in that country. But when the war came and people were in migration, people's apartment buildings were, you know, bombed out, they're homeless, essentially, where did they go? Well, they, they went to the local church. And it was in that context that they were being fed, that there were clean mattresses for them and their kids to bed down on, where they were watching the gospel being lived out in word and deed. Amen. And I'll tell you what, that's, that is powerful yes. and irrefutable. This pastor said week by week, he's making the trek to get the food and get the materials and to give it out to folks in his community with the gospel in Jesus' name. He said his church is now a thousand in size. So <laughs> they went in one year from three, more than tripled wow. in size. And, God. and only God, right, can yes. show up in the middle of that kind of brokenness and bring life. And, and we give him all the glory for it. The local church is a very important arm to Samaritan's Purse. I mean, you guys really want to work alongside local churches. Yes, we do. And we do it everywhere we go uh, in any way we can. We believe uh, that the local church is really the hope of the world, right? So that happens in Ukraine. That happens in a lot of our other field work. It happens in United States Disaster Relief. It happens when somebody goes up to Operation Hillary Patriots in Alaska. That's going on right now for wounded veterans, wounded since 9-11. We'll take these wounded vets and their spouses up to Alaska for a week of marriage rehabilitation. They hear the gospel. Many come to Christ. Then we plug them into the local church, right? That's that's the hope going forward, that they'll continue to grow in grace, get into the Word of God, get into good fellowship, etc. I'd love to talk about Turkey just for a minute, if yeah, I may. Yeah, I'll tell you, because I, I wanted to talk about Turkey, yeah. Lynn, because any time that on the news, if you hear today, a devastating earthquake hit Syria, Turkey, mm. or wherever else in the world, mm-hmm. a flood hit that, right. you know, a tsunami was here, I automatically think of Samaritan's Purse and start praying for you guys, knowing that you're wow. going to be mobilizing, going there in some capacity. Yes. And, and and our hearts have been, oh my goodness, our hearts have been broken over the people of Turkey and Syria over the earthquakes. Yeah, it, it was a devastating 7.8 magnitude followed by a 7.4 magnitude earthquakes that hit in February. And we're talking the southern part of Turkey and the northern part of Syria. The Lord allowed us to get in there in an extraordinary way. You know, we were able to come with our arms full. 
lot of other places, a lot of other organizations wanted to show up and help, but because we were able to come with our hands full, you know, with food, with a field hospital, with the materials, the tarping, was going to come and help people survive such a devastating event. I mean, we're talking about 55,000 people dying. 55,000, that's a small town, that's a good-sized town. We're talking about almost 3 million people being displaced as a result of those earthquakes. But because of our partners, people who give and pray and partner, we're able to instantly respond, be amongst first responders, and, and do excellent work as the platform for our gospel witness. In Turkey, you know, we just want to be there and, and express the love of God to people who have lost uh, in a devastating way their families' lives, their homes, their livelihoods, etc. We heard a story of a young 14-year-old boy. In fact, uh, there's a video on our website that tells the story who knew he could see the, the earthquake happening, he could see his mom and dad uh, unfortunately being covered by the debris um, and, and knew he had lost his, his parents, which is mind-boggling to me. And then he and his siblings were caught under a lot of the debris of their apartment building. He was there, uh, can you imagine this, one, two, three, he was there seven days under that debris. His uncle came looking for him, just had a sense that he needed to try and see if he could reach his brother and his brother's family. And this uncle and his friends were pulling debris, one story after another off, calling out to this family. Finally, he hears a voice and it's this young boy, this 14-year-old boy whose life has been spared. You know, God has saved his life. They just dug frantically, got him out. And the uncle said, you know, we were so thrilled to find him. He's alive. We got him in an ambulance and we figured, well, none of the hospitals are still standing. Where are they going to take us? The side of the road? And he said, instead, they brought us to your field hospital, meaning the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital, and we've received such excellent care expressing God's love for us at a terrible moment in our lives. Oh, my goodness. Lynn, just thinking about using medical staff, and we might have those listening right now, mm. you know, that are trained professionals when it comes to medical field, and they've never, they thought, I would love to use my skills and what God has given me as a doctor a professional medical, you know, technician. And now you're telling me about these opportunities. Are there opportunities for medical staff to to be part of Samaritan's Purse? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Our world medical mission arm uh, works in many, many hospitals, mission hospitals globally, and people can volunteer. But if they want to serve in an emergency situation, we call that a DART response. They can serve through our DART. And that stands for Disaster Assistance Response Team. These are folks who have have skills such as medical, as you mentioned, doctors, nurses, Uh, they might be pharmacists, uh, they might be experts in security, water, warehousing, electrical. We can put them to work and they'll be in that first wave or in those first few weeks We'll train them. We actually pay them. They're they're kind of like a short-term contractor, if you will. And they show up when terrible things happen in the world, and they express God's love for people in a practical way, meeting those needs. Yeah. Well, and of course, we started off talking, too, mentioning about the Operation Christmas. You yes. Know? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's not miss that. No, no, the shoebox ministry, which has been going on now. Where, where did this idea originate from? Was it was this Samaritan's Purse idea? Actually, no, it came came from, I believe, a pastor in England who called Franklin early on in the days of Samaritan's Purse and said, uh, you know, I think as Franklin tells the story, he says, Brother Franklin, you know, he has that accent. It's, it was a lot of fun. And he says, uh, we have we had this idea for bringing uh, gifts in shoeboxes to children in war-torn Bosnia and Kosovo in that area during during the 90s. Uh, would you pack these boxes for us? And Franklin apparently agreed. And then as he tells the story, promptly forgot about it. And then his secretary walks into his office a few months later with that 
look as he puts it, you know, like, you're in trouble now. <laughs> you, uh, and he says, uh-oh, what did I do? And she says, well, that guy from England has called, and he's looking for his shoeboxes. And Franklin thought, ah. So he calls his friend Ross Rhodes in Charlotte uh, at Calvary Church, who very kindly says, I'll get my people right on it. And they pack many, many, many of these shoebox gifts the first year. I believe the number was close to uh, 11,000 shoeboxes that first year. Can you imagine that? Oh, my. It was a seed that grew into a mighty oak, if you will, of gospel proclamation. You know, we call those boxes go boxes, gospel opportunity boxes. But they also are called go boxes because Jesus said, right, in the Great Commission, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore, go. 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 And so we've been going since 1993, 209 million, 209 million of these go boxes, gospel opportunity boxes, put into the hands of local pastors and church planters in over 150 countries. My, well, I've had an opportunity, my family, to participate from our church doing Samaritan's mm-hmm. Purse, doing the boxes. Love it. And there were local inner city housing projects that we took these boxes yes. to. Yes. And it was at Thanksgiving time, I remember that. And mm-hmm. I, I remember the impact it had on my children because hmm. they're, they're grown now, you know, they're grown right. and married and got their yeah. own children now. But I, I remember the impact that it had upon them because they were able to see, you know, it looks different in, in different environments. It's going to look different in an inner city family in the U.S. or taking a, a box to a child in Bosnia, you know, but you're still communicating the love of Christ at yes. Christmas, you know. Yeah. Well, we want to point to the Christmas child, right, yes. from which we get our name. The boxes actually go globally to children in 120 countries. You know, have never had a Christmas gift, uh, a Christmas morning, a birthday gift. They don't, they don't have any conception of what it's like to receive something for free, unexpected. And it becomes a physical picture of the free gift of salvation through Jesus alone. It really opens their hearts. We have young people now in their 20s who receive boxes as young children who talk about that moment when the box box came and in the middle of their spiritual darkness or their orphanhood or whatever it would be, their poverty, God's light and love breaking through, through that simple gift uh, so that they began to say, oh, maybe God is real and maybe he's knowable and maybe what they're telling me about his son Jesus is for me. And many of these kids come into the kingdom of God. Let's break down the Operation Christmas Child and how a church can engage with Samaritan's Purse, you know, during this time. How soon should they connect with you? Mm -hmm. Do, Do you guys provide the shoe boxes? Do we need to provide our own shoe boxes and, and give some instructions okay. on how this organizes? Sure. Well, the project's been around for over 30 years now, so we've got a great system of logistics. We have a network across the country. In fact, there are countries where our affiliate offices are, like Canada, Australia, UK, Germany, it's where they're also packing, but a lot of the boxes do come from churches right here in the U.S. It's never too early to start. We have churches who have Christmas and July packing parties, okay. um, and the earlier you start, the, the greater chance you have of being able to create more and more of these gospel opportunity boxes. They used to be literal hand boxes, uh, shoe boxes, hand covered with beautiful Christmas paper, and some still are, but a lot of the boxes are cardboard and people can access those online. Uh, they can go to SamaritansPurse.org backslash OCC. SamaritansPurse.org backslash OCC stands, of course, for Operation Christmas Child, and they'll get all the info they need about how to access the boxes. They can go to Hobby Lobby and pick them up, the plastic ones that we see children use for years to carry water in a village, etc. Yeah. And then they need to think about 
what they would put in those boxes. Are they going to pack for a boy or a girl? Are they going to pack for a child 2 to 4, 5 to 9, or, or 10 to 14? And that'll affect what goes in. But we always ask them to think about hygiene items. We're thinking about school supplies. We're thinking about one wow item, snuggly doll or whatever, you know, that little teddy bear pops out and the child's heart is really touched and it feels like, wow, somebody really loves me. And it yes. becomes an entree to understanding the love of God for them in Christ. Lynn, I love this. You know, you were mentioning that you've been with Samaritan's Purse for 10 years, mm-hmm. and we did mention that you're a pastor's wife I am. in addition. So you have been in ministry for a long time. Yes, decades. In, decades. Mm-hmm. We won't talk to you, but just, <laughs> God's given you a, a fruitful ministry yes. through many years. What is it that you enjoy most about being engaged in gospel ministry? I'm going to answer your question by telling one more Operation Christmas Child story, if I may. Yes. I love seeing the church grow, and I love seeing one generation proclaim the excellencies of our God and the good news of of Christ to the next. And Operation Christmas Child does that so effectively. Literally, it's led by the national leadership teams of in those 120 countries or so where the boxes go. It's not Samaritan's Purse. It's led by the national church. People get unified around denominational or tribal or tongue different, you know, language differences around this mission of raising up the next generation of the church. It's a global discipleship movement. And about 10 years ago, in addition to giving the boxes, we said, you know, we, we know where these pastors live. They're reaching kids in their community. What if we could fulfill the whole Great Commission, not only go, but make disciples? And so we created a 12-week discipleship ex- experience called The Greatest Journey. And kids in that 12 weeks learn how to know Jesus, how to grow in Jesus, how to go share Jesus with others. And a huge percentage of kids who experience this in the local church again, there it is again, uh, in the place where this, the gospel seed in the box gets nurtured and established through through believers, pastors and Sunday school teachers, etc. I mean, we've, we've trained 1.5 million Sunday school teachers around the globe to train the next generation, raise up the next generation for the gospel. Uh, we see churches planted. God is on the move. He's in, on the move. In these hard days, in these darkening days, he is shining the light of the gospel as never before. And churches and individuals can pack these boxes, send kids on the greatest journey for an additional $6, and, and send forth gospel light and hope into a dark world. Oh, Lynn, what a beautiful testimony and story. I love that. I love how you share about engaging the gospel and the power it has, you know, to transform and change lives. And we see children. And one of the things I, I want to say before we close, too, I did mention at the beginning of the program, mm. you are on the donor relations team. Right. Donations are a very important part of keeping Samaritan's Purse on the move, on the go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when when disaster, we never know when disaster is going right. to strike. Mm-hmm. It could happen anytime, anywhere. Your teams are ready to mobilize and go and yes. meet the needs. Yes. But it takes an incredible amount of resources to do that. Mm-hmm. And volunteers over the years have been so gracious Absolutely. to give in Jesus' name to Samaritan's Purse. Mm-hmm. You can always use more, right? More well, support, more help? Because the uh, the needs will only continue until yes. Jesus returns. Absolutely. We're incredibly blessed by God motivating our partners to, to give and to volunteer and to pack shoebox gifts, etc. That's really His doing, and it's for His glory. But sure, um, those those gifts and those prayers are powerful. People can 
can give in a variety of ways. I just encourage people to go to our website and read the stories and begin to engage with various aspects of the ministry and find the part of the ministry that really hits home for them. It, it'll align with their personal story and begin to do a little research and, and watch the videos and say, hey, maybe I can move the dial a little bit in that area. Of course, our Christmas catalog will come out in the next several months and they can begin to look at that and pray about that as a family or with their grandkids and say, let's begin to pass on a, a legacy of generosity and gospel generosity at that to the next generation. <laughs> Lynn, thank you so much for what you're allowing Christ to do in and through you for his kingdom, for his glory, and for sharing with Bot Radio Network here again at the 2023 PCA Presbyterian Churches of America, the General Assembly as we broadcast from the Renaissance Convention Center in downtown Memphis. <laughs> Byron, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. 